That was nice. If we haven't met before, I'm Rob Jacobson, and actually, my introduction only works if I say it differently, so pretend I didn't say that. Good morning. Hi, I'm Rob, and I feel angst this season. Okay, let's try that again. Hi, my name's Rob, and I feel angst this season. Hi, Rob. It's good for you to be here. Uh, do you ever feel the angst of the season? Like, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and so it's a time to feel grateful and thankful, and it's also Black Friday, and so it's a time to shop and spend and get more and fight people in the lines. And then it's Small Shop Saturday, so, you know, you got to go local and make sure you get the deals there, support the businesses. And then tomorrow's Cyber Monday, so if you missed anything over the weekend, you can be sure and grab it online and, you know, get something for yourself, too, because the statistics say that, you know, between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, most people are buying at least one gift, if not several, for themselves. So, oh, see, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, so there's all this angst going on in the midst of the season, so much so that I forgot the scripture reading. Good morning, church. <laughs> I know you get really excited to preach, so, you know. I'm going to be reading out of Psalm 96 this morning before our message. <laughs> um, sing to the Lord a new song. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he has done. Great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and, honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all of his glory, holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the seas and everything in it shout his name. Let the fields and their crops burst with joy. Let the trees in the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. It's excellent, Ellie. Thank you. Man, it's, you know, if you didn't know, uh, we actually do walk through the service before church, so, you know, I should probably know that, but, uh, it is what it is. So, uh, there's in this psalm, there's this reality of all the ways in which we worship. There's singing to the Lord with a new song. There's praising God for who he is. There's thanking him for what he's done. 
there's ascribing glory to God and honor to God. I'm not sure what ascribing means, but it might have something to do with writing. There's giving of offering. There's showing reverent fear. There's all these different ways that we can worship God in the midst of this psalm. And I think in, in the season, there's also all of these ways that we can worship God. And part of the reason that I feel angst in the season is because of all the different ways that we can go about celebrating. And how actually when these things, when these not just the way we worship, but the way in which we do traditions. When they get smashed together, I find it really hard to navigate those. Like, for instance, um, this is what I saw September 26th in a store. September 26th. Not October, September. Not kidding. Like, I mean... I, I get that, you know, Thanksgiving keeps getting smashed, but now Halloween is even getting smashed together. And this just adds for me, when our seasons and our holidays get smashed together, it makes it even that much harder to figure out how to navigate going through the holidays well. So I was reading this Psalm 96 a while ago, and as I was reading it, um, this idea of singing to the Lord a new song started kind of just taking root in my mind. And so when we started talking about the next series that we were going to do, we, um, we tossed out this idea of doing Christmas carols and having these teachings that would take the scriptures and the songs that we're doing and through God's spirit, see if we could use that to align our hearts and our heads and our hands in ways that would be meaningful over the Advent and Christmas season. Because Advent is almost juxtaposed with Christmas. There's this joyful, hopeful anticipation of Christmas with presents. And then Advent is this waiting and longing and patient endurance. It's the kind of waiting that isn't, ooh, I can't wait to open my presents. It's like, I can't wait till the person that I care about and am praying for is healed. Or the relative that I, that I want to see but isn't doing well and I'm not sure if they're ever going to get better. It's that kind of waiting that is in the midst of Advent. And actually, long, long time ago, when people first started following Jesus, they started saying, what if we looked at the year in terms of seasons and one of those seasons that would actually start the Christian year would be Advent. So, in the mind of a Christian, we start the year by stopping and waiting. And that's what we're doing in this season. We're waiting for God to come to us. We're waiting for the person who is the one who can fix it all to actually make things right rather than being the ones who try to fix it. So that's where the, that's what I hope happens during Advent and with our discombobulated introduction here. We'll jump into Psalm 96. Because what I think Psalm 96 does is it gives us this idea of where we're going with the Christmas carols. This idea of singing to the Lord a new song. And so sometimes we'll do this. We'll throw out everybody can play. Get your opinions. The sounds of the symphony are often better than the sounds of the solo. Especially when I don't even know which order we're going in. So... 
This says, sing to the Lord a new song. So before we ask about new songs, let's ask about old songs. Why do you love old songs? Or why might people love old songs? Uh, The old song connects back to a time in your life or a memory. Sure, great. Why else? Familiar, yep, we probably know it. What else? The old will not die. They just keep on going. The good times roll. Sure, it brings us back to a different time in our lives, a childhood or possibly young adult experience. Ooh, they're comfortable. Any other reasons why we might love old songs? Nostalgia. Do you want to say more about that? Just that feeling you get when you're listening to it. Sure. All right, so how could a new song be helpful, especially when you think about it in regards to singing to the Lord a new song? New perspective. Biblical. Growth. Change. Sure, if they're not familiar, we actually have to think about what we're saying or singing. So we might learn from that. Any other reasons a new song might be helpful? Sure, it stretches us. You hear new melodies. Oh, a different way to express yourself. Sure. Any others? When Psalm 96 was written, it was a time where the temple was just, they were bringing back the Ark of the Covenant from being uh, taken and ransacked. And so King David is bringing this back. He's bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the treaty between God and his people, the, the holy box that held the Ten Commandments, the staff of Aaron, and some of the manna from the wilderness. And so it had incredible significance. It could have been nostalgic, but it was actually something that was very fresh and, and very present in their relationship with God. And so in the midst of bringing this back, there's celebration, there's joy, and the king commands them to start singing new songs. He appoints these worship leaders to bring, to, I think part of it is also to signify this is a new day, this is a new moment. We're not just in this relationship of the past, we're in the relationship of the present with this new song. And so today, we're looking at, um, well, during the series, we're looking at these different carols. The first one we're looking at today is the song, O Come All Ye Faithful. Now, in case you didn't know, it's actually written originally in Latin. I can't say the name. So, um, Adest Fidelis, if 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 I'm right, but it was written by a guy named John Francis Wade. At a time, he was British, 
at a time when the United Kingdom was actually not very united. This is about 1740, 1750. Um, the English, the Scottish, and the Irish were at odds with each other about who would rule Great Britain. And the English were adamant that the next king or queen would not be someone who came from the Catholic faith, even if they converted. Lots of the Irish were Catholic, and so there was almost civil war happening in this country. And when this, when this song, O Come All Ye Faithful, was first published in 1760, some even suggested that the words were like this coded battle cry to try and get one of the, um, one of the kings back into the throne. He had been removed, and he had to flee, and now he's coming back, and his son actually is making this rebellious attempt to thwart the throne. And so his, uh, it was James Francis Edward Stuart that was trying to regain the throne. And his son, Charles Edward Stuart, went on to try and fight to get the kingdom back and lost. And so in the midst of that, he is, goes into exile. John Francis Wade, the guy who wrote the hymn, goes into exile, ends up in France, and he goes on to teach music at a school for British Roman Catholic exiles. Now, I look at all that, and you might go, wow, what's the point? I think in a time of great political and religious opposition and battle, people's faith remained strong and intact. And even new songs were sung in the midst of that. I think it gives us hope in the place that we face, in the country we live in, where there's religious and political opposition happening, that our faith could actually move us forward rather than be exiled like it looks like these people were. So that's what encourages me. It was translated in 1841 to English, and that's where we get the, the title, O Come All Ye Faithful. So, man, 250 years ago, it wasn't even really a new song. But I pray that today we can look at this song as fresh and new, that God's truth would speak to us. So let's look at it for a few minutes. First thing I notice in the song is movement. Um, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come, O come you to Bethlehem. There's this sense of journey that people are being invited to come and to worship, to behold and adore this newborn king, the one born king of angels, it says, the one that is Christ the Messiah. And so people are being invited to come and worship, and those who are coming are the faithful and the joyful and the triumphant. And you know what I'm thinking? Can anyone else come? Because there are days that I don't feel very faithful and I don't act very joyful and I don't think very triumphant. You know, I'm, I might not be the only one, but how about you? Faithful? Did you, did you just nail faithful over Thanksgiving? Like thanking God for the food, the, probably the excess or faithfully not spending more than you need to or should have on Black Friday, not pushing people out of the way, or really even less about food and spending, like, were you faithful, have you been faithful to what you've been hearing from God, what he's been prompting you in? Because I believe God does still speak to us. He might be nudging you or asking you to do something. You might sense that and know that, but, you know, when it comes to the point of saying yes, you've just backed up. 
you've actually been more doubtful than faithful. What about joyful? Like, my family went out uh, with some friends on Friday night. We stopped for dessert, and somehow I incorrectly ordered the dessert. Like, I thought that when you asked, hey, I'll have a, a scoop of that. Like, you were, it's like asking, oh, I'll have a Coke. Okay, what kind would you like? A Dr. Pepper, you know? Or that, that when you asked for a scoop of ice cream, you actually got, like, a nice helping of ice cream. But when you ask for a scoop of the flavor of the day, which happened to be one of my top three favorites, they brought out this, like, I don't even, you couldn't even call it a dish. It was like a tray that was about this big and this high, and there's just, just this little, like, teaspoon of, I mean, I've cleansed my palate with more, you know, sorbet than, than I got there, and, I'm, and it was like, oh, oh, hmm, joyful, happy, and then, like, everyone else's came out, and they're all bigger, everyone, even the person that also got a scoop, like, twice as much, and I'm like, oh, and I'm, so I'm feeling at joyful. I've got a joyful deficiency. Please don't tell me I'm the only one. So I think it's sometimes easier to feel like despondent than joyful. Um, how about triumphant? It's not a word we use very often. But triumphant, we might say I'm crushing it or I nailed it instead. Um, it's an area where you feel, you're feeling victory in your life. You know, do you, do, you walk around, do you hear people going, man, I'm just feeling triumphant in my finances. Or I'm feeling triumphant in my marriage. Like, took my spouse out on a date. She liked it, you know. I don't hear that very often either. I'm, feel, I'm, I'm just feeling triumphant in all my grades, you know. Grades came out, like, yeah, I'm feeling triumphant. See, in my work, I often have people call me when things are not good. I hear more often like, I don't know how I got here. I just feel defeated. So defeated is much more of a common response than triumphant. So when I look at going into the holidays, I think feeling joyful, faithful, or triumphant is probably one of the last things many of us feel. And if you're at a point where you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I am feeling joyful or faithful or triumphant. I, I don't even think I need to listen to you. Just give me a few minutes. I'll come back to you. But if you are not feeling very faithful, joyful, or triumphant, don't fear. Like the writers of Jesus' story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they actually invite other people to the story. The O come all ye faithful might not, but Jesus does. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come, you who are weary and burdened, you who have, carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. So if you're looking at the start of this holiday season and going, I am exhausted and crabby, Jesus is saying, hey, you, come. He brings the tired forward. He also invites the sinners. In Mark 2, 17, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but the sinner. So whether you're sick with sin or weary from life or feeling incredibly faithful, joyful, or triumphant, Jesus is calling each of us with this song. And I think what the question is, is do you know where you are? As he's 
calling you from wherever you are. Do you know where you are? The second scene after the chorus might best be described as the preparation. If, if this song is like a play, the first scene is this invitation. The second scene is the preparation. Notice the action in the song. Oh, sing choirs of angels. Sing in exaltation. Sing citizens of heaven. Glory to God, glory in the highest. The psalm and the carol tell us that singing is part of the preparation in worship. And I know not everyone likes to sing, but did you know there's actually science behind singing, how it's good for us, how, how for a decade humans have been trying to work on trying to explain with science how singing can have a calming and yet energizing effect on us. And here's what they figured out. They figured out that there's been a number of studies that say that when you sing, two important hormones are released, oxytocin and endorphins. And they, those are like happy, happy hormones that lower stress and reduce anxiety and feelings of loneliness. So, you know, when you're stressed out, you want some more of those things. But additionally, like oxytocin gives us this feeling of happiness. It's actually called the love drug, not because it makes us feel love, but because it actually makes us, gives us this sense that we're connecting or bonding with others. Neurologists have actually done further studies to note that when we sing, the brain is using this right temporal lobe of our brain, which is the place that releases the endorphins, which not only block pain, but actually make us healthier, smarter, and more creative. So get the right temporal lobe glowing if you don't, you know, go in if you don't catch anything else. And when we sing with others, it's amplified. So there's the science, but think about it beyond science and beyond the natural. Because whether you realize it or not, when, when you're singing, even if you're only singing to yourself, your brain is focused on doing that task. Now imagine if you're doing that task and connecting it with the truth that when we sing, we're praising God and joining in something that's supernatural. Because, okay, the science is great, but the reality is that we join with angels when we sing. The psalm says that the creation cries out. God's creation is always praising him. When we sing, we join in that, that sacred supernatural conversation. That's what's happening when we're singing. The writer of the psalm says in the end of it, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea and everything in it shout its praise, let the fields and their crops burst with joy, let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, he is coming. There's this anticipation. It's almost like uh, before a wedding where people are singing or where there's a, um, there's a song of prelude before the bride walks down. It's that kind of anticipation that's happening there. Every Christmas carol we know and sing can be part of that sacred, supernatural conversation with God. That's the preparation that we're talking about. Which brings us to the last scene of O Come All Ye Faithful, which is probably my favorite. It says, Yes, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh, appearing. 
do we know who we're meeting? The one who comes from God and appears to us in earthly form. You know, we have these scenes of the nativity, and they often look nostalgic, like the familiar Christmas carols. You know, I'm pretty sure that all of the animals would not have been that neat and tidy. I'm pretty sure the the sheep were not all pure white. They would have been dirty and muddy. Pretty sure there would have been a lot of noise. Pretty sure there may not have even been so many blankets. Some people conjecture that that Jesus the baby was just laid in a, a stone trough for feeding. But these scenes, they kind of skew who we're meeting. I think it's actually more likely that we go from here to a rather uh, unsacred scene. You know, the Talladega Nights, Ballad of Ricky Bobby. I'm just, I, I think it's pretty, we may not put these exact words to it, but I think this is where we go. So allow me for a moment. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce newborn baby Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny curled-up, fat, balled-up fist pawing at the air, to which then his father-in-law Chip says, he's a man, he had a beard. And Ricky Bobby said, I like the baby version best. Do you hear me? Because I win the races and I get the money. Now, you can laugh because... You're like, this is uncomfortable. But the reality is that when we make Jesus the infant baby, we win the races, we keep the money. We get to decide what place he has in our lives and what he doesn't. See, the psalmist sees the one that they're praying to a little different. In verse 4 of Psalm 96, it says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of all the nations, they're just mere idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary, his sacred presence. See, when we just keep Jesus as the infant baby will never ever give him the place in our lives as savior master judge jesus will come again it says to judge all of the earth and he won't judge thankfully by the united states standards or by political standards or by religious standards he'll judge by his kingdom and his law and we want that we want his truth and righteousness to make all things right, even if that means that we'll receive judgment as well. We want his judgment. And if you're at that place that I mentioned before where you're just like, I'm joyful, I'm faithful, I'm triumphant, I don't really need to listen. Okay, are you comparing yourself to the infant Jesus? Know Jesus? Are you comparing yourself to the one who is the redeemer and author of life, the one who conquered death and who rules over heaven, the one who the writer of the letter of Romans says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Are you comparing your life to that life? To his life? That pioneer and perfecter of our faith, in the Greek word, the pioneer word means archagos. It's the one who goes first. The archagos is the one who can be best be described by the 1905 shipwreck from uh, Split Rock Light. Split Rock Lighthouse on the board, uh, on the schooner barge called the Madeira. In 1905, this was the worst storm that the Lake Superior and the Great Lakes had ever seen. There's this steam barge or steamship called the William Edinburgh that was towing this schooner barge, the Madeira. And as it's ballast there in the tow, November 28th, 1905, Sitting in 30-foot waves and 60-mile-an-hour winds, the captain of the ship, the steamship, fears for the life of his own crew in his own boat, so he cuts the tow line of the Madeira, thinking that if they just cast their own anchor in the midst of this huge storm, that they'll fare better than having these two ships collide together. So this ship is cut. The 10 people on the crew are then stuck waiting at 3, 3.30 in the morning in 30-foot waves, 60-mile-an-hour winds, and there's no lighthouses. There's no sight. There's no electricity. There's just They're at the mercy of these waves, and this crew just has to sit on the ship until who knows what. At 5.30 in the morning, this boat turns broadside and starts hitting against the Gold Coast or this Gold Rock Coast pounding against it, and the ship is starting to break up. All the crew would have died had not one of the crewmen named Fred Benson grabbed a line, jumped off the ship into the water, and scrambled up onto the rocks, and then climbed through the wind a 60-foot cliff with the waves crash, 30-foot waves crashing against the cliff. He's got a rope tied onto himself as he's climbing up this ship, gets a big enough boulder to come and put its weight over the line so that then he can climb back and get these people from the ship. That's what an archagos is. That's the one who goes first, the one who rescues those who would die. He goes and grabs the line, goes further down, throws another rope, gets to the end of the ship, nine out of ten people are saved that day. That's an archagos. And that's not even Jesus, because Jesus doesn't let any perish. So who are you comparing your life to? As we come today and sing, O come all ye faithful, are you coming based on your own efforts? Because I sure do that a lot. I say, oh, I haven't been very faithful. Oh, I haven't been very joyful. Oh, I certainly haven't been triumphant. Or I falsely raise up my triumphantness, thinking that maybe God will compare my best with someone else's worst, and then just maybe I'll come out okay. Well, instead... What we find in this psalm, what we find in the story of God, what we even find in this carol is there is one who has gone before us, who was utterly faithful, who rescues us from places that we could never get out of. 
He is the one who's always faithful, always joyful, and always triumphant. He is the one who conquered death. He is the one who actually makes a way for us to come to God. That's who we praise today. So in this season that we call Christmas and Advent, can you, can you sit in the waiting, even the hard waiting, and can you praise knowing that he has made a complete way? That he invites you by name, loves you, not for what you've done, but for whose you are. I heard a speaker once who changed the course of my life with one sentence. I was 19 years old when he said, if Jesus is your Lord, really your Lord, then you can't say no to him. And all of a sudden I realized all the places in my life that Jesus did not have access to. Like if my, if my life, my personhood was a house, I would let him in the entryway and there would be about three rooms, maybe four, that, that he'd have access to. And if he asked about that, I'd say, oh, no, 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 no. Next, next time you come over. I thought about all the times that I had said no. And in that moment, I knew that I needed a savior and a master. One who could and would judge my life. Began the process of turning things over to him, knowing that I could never save myself, that I was just like somebody on the Madeira. It was only a matter of time before the waves came crashing down, and you might be very successful in your life. But I promise you, that without Jesus in the center, it's just a matter of time before the waves start hitting that coast of your life, crashing down. And even in the midst of that, we know that Jesus still comes to rescue. That he sits with God, interceding on our behalf. And he is the only one who rose from the grave, who lived a perfect life as a dependent human being promises to return to judge everything that's broken in the world all the injustice, all the opposition see we're not just praising him because he's awesome, because he's great but may we praise him today because he rescues us today we have the choice and the chance not, again, because of what we've done, but because of what he has done to come and behold him, to come and adore him, to worship him as the newborn king. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, that you, you did come triumphant and yet you never used that power and that glory and that status that you had as something for you to grasp or gain 
Instead, you made yourself nothing. You took the very nature of a servant. You came to us as a human that, that we all might have access to you, might be unintimidated to come to you, and yet you didn't stay there. You took your rightful place as master and king and judge. And God, when we killed you, you still loved us. You still asked the Father in heaven to forgive us. God, would we reach out and choose to adore you today based on what you've done. And meet us wherever we're at. Amen. Will you stand in worship with us if you're able?